0: Welcome, everyone, to Aging Fearlessly. Today, I have an amazing woman, Marnie Edwards. Marnie, I have been following you on LinkedIn and through friends. And while I am so impressed, you have had an extraordinary career. And I have actually no idea how you've managed to fit so much into your life so far. Can you share um, some history from your early days in your career? And I just want to say this now. We actually both started in a very similar place as teachers. And I want to say to the teachers of the world, teaching is a great base for people to move on from if they want to. We all need wonderful teachers in the world. It's a very important role. However, some people choose to use the teaching for teaching and others use it for a platform to move on.
1: I think I, and for other using it as a platform to move on, I use it, as a platform to build on it's probably a funny story but I did do teaching and I did work at Robert Townsend out at Campbelltown for 18 months and at the time there there were six year twos It was a huge area lots of social issues and I actually thought at the time it'd be safer to have a gun on and that's what actually inspired me to join the police force so working out in that um, area and working as a teacher was a, just a, a cornerstone to everything I've done since really the basis that I learned as a teacher
0: from teaching to policing. So tell us more about your policing career.
1: I was in my 20s and it was exciting to be a teacher. There's nothing more fulfilling, but I didn't have children at the time and I was a young person that didn't have aspirations to travel, but I did have a boyfriend who ended up being a fiancé and a husband that was in policing at the time. He made it sound so exciting, but at the time, you know, there was a, under 10% of the police force were women and there were a few obstacles to getting into the police force at that time for women and that, that challenge, I think, has always inspired me
0: Actually, truthfully, is this a hidden secret that you just loved a man in uniform?
1: (laughs) That could be true too. They made it sound so much fun. They made it sound that they were putting criminals away, but they're also doing it in a way that was exciting and adrenaline filled and and the camaraderie between them was amazing. And, yes, they do look good in uniform.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) you eventually did marry this policeman, your ex-husband now, yet you had an amazing career in policing. Can you give us some insight?
1: I think I told you before the interview that the most amazing thing I ever achieved was jumping over the six-foot wall (laughs) to actually get into policing. So as a woman trying to learn how to run up to a, a solid wall and get your elbow stuck over the top of it and then drag your legs over... And then complete the obstacle course within four minutes was my greatest nemesis in my life. So I trained really hard to learn how to do that. Men, you know, just ran up and use their upper body strength just to push themselves up. But so, yes, I got through that. And so nothing was too hard after that experience. And I did, I went down to the police academy. I went through the training in the nineties, which was pretty tough. And then went through early policing in, on the streets of Kings Cross and Asheville later Hornsby. Amazingly got into a job share position with one of the most remarkable female detectives I've ever worked with and we had a great time working together with young children and from there I moved into different ranks and worked at the Police Academy in major recruitment drives and ended up as a detective inspector down at Manara Local Area Command which is Queenbeyan area and working with the snow and the feds and um, doing a range of different policing down there, it was a ex- really exciting part of my life.
0: Well, I want to just go back a little bit to something you said. So first of all, it was like training to be a ninja warrior, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these climbing walls. But in yes. those days, when you started policing, not many women were in the police force and the same with the ambos and the same with the fires It was really... Yes. A very male dominated world, probably yes. police less than the other two, but very yes. male dominated world. Yeah. how did you find it once you landed yourself in the police force?
1: I was excited from day one there. I was really driven to work with children and children involved in sexual assault and that were victims of crime. Um, but you had to go through generalist policing first. We had a handicap right from the start because we wore beautiful culottes, remember culottes, <laughs> yes. stockings and slightly heeled polished shoes. So right from the start, trying to run and chase and tackle and restrain people was even a handicap from our uniforms at the time. It was so freeing by the time that we were allowed to wear long pants and those types of things. I, I think... I'd never tried to be a man. And so that was part of the thing was when you got in to try and be part of the group or be part of who you were with. I learned really early that I had to be myself and connect through myself, but not actually take on the characteristics of the group. And that was the thing that really saved me emotionally and strengthened me in policing.
0: Beyond policing, you moved into some other areas which is of great interest today because what you're doing now and you're pivoting again in your career is what I want to get across to the listeners today as your credentials for this podcast that we're recording. So after policing, what came next
1: i had been divorced many of us have gone through divorces in time and i was trying to recreate myself and create a life for my children that was stable and They were in a a fabulous private school down in Canberra and I wanted to stay and keep them in in one school for their senior school. And I was lucky to be offered the opportunity at Ambulance Victoria to go in as the General Manager Support Services at the Executive. And in that role, I was the first ever female in the Executive and I was the first ever non-clinician. So that was another amazing opportunity Mm. to do something that I'd never done before and in a, a scope and field that I didn't have the qualifications in. And it's not just risk-taking. You only have one life. And when you get an opportunity like that to say, well, I'm going yeah. to give it a go and see where this takes me. And I'm going to have this experience, whether I am really successful at it or, or whether I'm not. So I had 20 years in policing, then six years with ACT ambulance service and I think it got me out of my comfort zone. I learned about a new culture of the AMBOs. AMBOs are the most amazing people in the universe and the way that they um, dedicate to saving lives. It's as real as what you think it is when you're on the inside. And all my experiences with ambulances have been fabulous.
0: Did we mention country
1: fire? That's only been very recently. So my partner was then in defence and we um, moved down to Melbourne in 2017 and I worked with um, Public Transport Victoria. And Public Transport Victoria had trams, trains oh. and buses and they had the whole state. And so I had the emergency management response for those, for the three different services. And and again, when I looked at the ad, I can remember being with my son and saying, this doesn't look like a pre-retirement job, but it looks like it's going to be fun and challenging. And I got into it, and actually, that was the best experience of my life. That, that they're an amazing organisation too. You, I'm know, um, looking after millions of people every day in their safety, um, and making sure that they uh, they get home safely. So that was great. And then, yeah, eventually, I ended up back in Sydney. My wonderful father had a stroke in 2019, and I came home. And since I've been in Sydney, I've done a, a couple of really fantastic roles and the the Country Fire Association was at the top of that back in Melbourne. They'd been running in an emergency management mode for over nine months and I came in and, and we worked out how we could start developing that organisation for COVID normal. Like we're going to be in a COVID normal space for the next um, two to three years and so we put a lot of the emergency response things that the team were doing back into business as usual, like COVID safe plans back into their Mm -hmm. safety team. But we kept the incident response team responsibility so we could step up when escalations or emergencies occurred with COVID. So that was really exciting going down to that job.
0: Yeah, so another wonderful achievement um, in helping people and helping businesses, especially in this time of COVID, And finally, now, you've been working with Make-A-Wish Foundation.
1: Karen, you could imagine when I got that phone call that somebody said there's 300 children waiting for their wishes that have been delayed by COVID. I could not say no to that one. And Make-A-Wish is this most gorgeous organisation filled with lovely people didn't know how to operate safely in the COVID environment and mainly them, I've just been the lucky person to be able to be part of um, pulling it together with them, have, have worked out a way of still delivering wishes to children across Australia. We did an amazing project called 100 Wishes in 100 Days and we celebrated each and every wish with the organisation and posted those wishes and we connected with all of those children and we've really found a way now to move forward into this new COVID normal environment so that those wishes continue over the next three to five years. And it was a fabulous experience.
0: I can tell just looking at you just how passionate you are and how wonderful this was for you and yeah. to be able to help people it's a tough time when kids are struggling with, with health issues. I know how valuable Make-A-Wish is in their lives.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, some of the wishes too are just extraordinary. It is a time when if we can try and create normality within this COVID environment, that's the way I think we as a community will pull together and be really strong when we come out of the end of it.
0: Probably. Money, you're a, a mother of two young men. Yes. And yes. you're also a foster mother. Or fossil.
1: So when I left the police force, one of the things in policing, you know, when you're dealing with children, which I did a lot, is that you can't actually get emotionally involved and you have to stay objective and you can't connect long-term with children because if it goes to court and all those different things. As a young woman, I'd made a um, commitment to myself that I would foster children when I had the capability to do so. And we did for eight years, 38 children came through our home, some of them long-term and For me, it was very healing and the children I met were amazing. I still have uh, one particular one, in case Dom listens, I'm going to say Dom in my life, who I love dearly. And it was an extraordinary experience. If any of your listeners have ever been thinking about doing that, it's a really fulfilling experience that are giving to children that really need people that do have the time and patience to help them heal from the lives that they've had.
0: Marnie got a master's in emergency management. Can you yes. tell us about
1: your studies? I started off very young. I was really lucky. Hopefully, your listeners will remember we went to university, and my first degree in education was free. I just felt that at different times in my career that I needed to hone my skills or have a better background of them. That's why I did the Bachelor of Police and Investigations, and then. In policing, having a broad corporate knowledge was really important too, so that's why I did a Master's of Business Administration. and the, I did the Master's in Emergency Management because I was talking at a lot of places in relation to emergency management. I, whilst I had the experience in emergency services, I didn't have that final qualification, and the qualification makes me feel very confident that what I'm saying is based on fact.
0: This is Karen Sander from Ageing Fearlessly, and I'm speaking with Marnie Edwards. And Marnie, Talking about policing and emergency services for three decades, what was the most scary time for you?
1: I think um, your listeners might be a bit surprised to say that it was one job and it was at Dural and if anyone knows that area it's about 45 minutes from the main police station and normally you only have one or two police cars on, Um, so the other car was up at Barara, so an hour away from helping and we went down to a a simple, simple noise complaint at the community centre. And I had a female probationary constable with me, clots, long battens, all that beautiful equipment on. And (laughs) as we got out of the car and I talked on the radio and called off on the radio, I was a senior person and I walked into the crowd, about 10 metres into the crowd, I realised it was a group of bikies of the outlaw variety. Around the same time, I could feel my police partner stiffen and both of our battens were banging against each other. I think she was shaking. Yeah. And so yeah. I was already immersed in the middle of this group of um, gentlemen and they were, they were having a party. They were having a get-together. All the bikes were there. And I just fight or fly, I stiffened my back. I used my nicest but directest teaching voice and said, Thanks, gentlemen. I know you've had a great evening today. Just got to get everyone moving. We've had a few complaints. And my partner and I moved through the crowd and got them moving away. And I have never felt greater fear in my whole life. And as a police trainee, we were told that one of the badges of this particular group was to sexually assault a a female police officer. Mm -hmm. So the two of us were you know, an hour and a half away from anyone coming to support us with our Collats on maybe that would have helped and our battens and our belts on and in not a good radio area but for me it was a pivotal moment in being able to control a rather large crowd with my voice and with a calm demeanor even though inside of me I was extraordinarily frightened.
0: I guess you don't want to inflame them in any way. No. To keep it calm.
1: Yes, keeping calm in any sort of emergency is the key success ingredient in my experience. Um, Calm and looking confident.
0: (laughs) So you've had to lead through times of crisis before. What about search and rescues?
1: Well, search and rescue is a really tragic and difficult things to lead, especially when you're in a command position and you're sending out multi-agency groups into snows overnight looking for people that are lost. It's one of the hardest things to do, but also normally I was in command roles at that time. That was when I was at Monaro and, you know, being with the families that were awaiting the people that we were looking for and knowing the families of the police and emergency services that you were sending out to look for them. And they were gone for hours. So they were some of the more traumatic events as a police officer I had. You were sending good men and women out to search for lost people and not knowing the conditions that they were going to face and having to have faith in their expertise and experience, but knowing Mm. just one slip, just one fall, could mean tragedy for so many people that you personally knew.
0: You're listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen Sandra. My guest today is Marnie Edwards. Marnie, so far we've been discussing your career and your background. We are in very unusual times at the moment with COVID-19. And I think it's fair to say the lockdowns and the restrictions that we're consistently having to adjust to are taking their toll. We are in a real crisis times and part of what you do is crisis management. So I wanted to talk more about that. The world seems to be lurching from one crisis to another. I mean, recently here in Australia, or on the East Coast in particular, we had massive fires 18 months ago that destroyed so much of New South Wales and Victoria, followed in some cases straight after by floods on the South Coast that ruined towns like Conjola. And then we have a pandemic. On top of that, along with the pandemic, we have mouse plagues. We're living in a world where crisis seems to come up all the time. Can you share more about that with us?
1: I've read a lot about this. And, you know, crisis and difficult times are part of the human condition. And if you do a bit of research in this area, our lives indicate that. I think statistically there is... So much that's almost happened in my life, too. You know, coming uh, back off the times when there were Vietnam and the, all the after effects of Vietnam and what happened in Australia with the Whitlam years and then AIDS. Remember AIDS, how much impact that was. And we've had hunger issues in Zimbabwe, West Africa. There was a huge locust plague, there's tsunamis, earthquakes, Ebola. There's so many things that have happened just in our time, let alone this you know, in the last century. Imagine being born in nineteen ten and there was, you know, world wars, and then there was the first pandemic in nineteen eighteen, and then there was the depression. So I think crises do happen, but this one's our one at the moment, and it's front and center for us. And the the conditions that are different at the moment is that the media and the way that we get our news and the way we hear about the outside world is all around us. And so that impacts us totally. And the formula of media actually um, impacts us. So it's really easy to get into the cycle about a crisis all the time. And I think that we really need to focus on with all of this is that we can only influence what's around us in in our world. Yes, we do need to know what's happening in the broader world. But crisis is something that's going to happen now and will happen after this pandemic right throughout our life. I hope that answered the question.
0: Yeah, it does answer the question. I I think, you know, if I turned the TV on right now, I would see COVID all across it. And many of us panic. We think, is this going to end? Where are our lives going? You hear so much about people losing their businesses, having to shut their businesses down. And it's really, really shocking. And as you and I, yes, we, we remember the Vietnam War. Our um, millennials don't know the Vietnam War and this is the first thing they've really faced. But it's really tough for people dealing with this. And a lot of people just get upset and emotional. How do we get through these times?
1: So resilience is thrown around a lot as a word and I can go further into that. I think that we are the masters of ourselves and if we can teach our children and if we can help people that get affected and impacted by this to get through this by saying you know, this is the crisis and it's bad but we can only do the things that we can do. We can be a good citizen. We can make our personal choices about getting vaccinated. We can look after people in our community. We can be solid and consistent with our family and our children. We can find ways of reconnecting. There's so many positives, right, as well of this time. Yeah. Reconnecting with your family, reconnecting with reading a book, reconnecting with doing all the things that are good for you. But I think it's a focus on, being really clear about what's not good for you so I'm an emergency management specialist and I will look at the news once a day if that and I will do that because I actually feel the trauma I feel the impact I feel walking through manly when the closed shops are there I feel that because I'm a, a loving human being but I know that seeing that all the time when I can't personally impact it is not good for me
0: I have been taking your advice and trying to watch the news only once a day, and it does help. usually try to watch at 11 o'clock, hear what's going on, and then stay away from it, if I can. Break down the term resilience. So... Resilience,
1: it is the ability to withstand adversity and bounce back from difficult life events, right? Being resilient does not mean that people don't experience stress, emotional upheaval and suffering. Some people equate resilience with mental toughness, but demonstrating resilience includes working through emotional pain and suffering. So it's not just hardening up. Um, being in touch with your emotions and doing something to make yourself stronger in the end Martin Seligman hooked me in about 15 years ago he's been doing amazing work in America and what he's been doing is he's been talking about the positive traumatic growth and building resilience so he's Mm -hmm. talking and he's got this 35 billion dollar contract I'm exaggerating but um, (laughs) with Defense America and what he's basically saying is that from these really big events like we're having at the moment that you can end up appreciating life more and really appreciating your relationships with others understanding the new possibilities in your life and and recognize and really have confidence and satisfaction in your own personal strength and there's six different ways to get there and I can talk about that if you want to but as you can see I'm a bit passionate about this area
0: well let's talk about the six different ways
1: Okay, so if you can cultivate a belief in your own ability to cope, right, so that you can actually identify that even though we're in this lockdown, this is the way that I can cope. I can do this, I can keep with my friends, in touch with my friends on Zoom, I can go for walks, I can organise my work differently. So believe that you can cope during this time. Mm -hmm. Stay connected with the people that support you. Yep. We, we can humans are connected people and you really need to stay connected with the people that make you laugh like you because of all of your imperfections and that you know that you can lean on when you're and going to down and talk about what you personally are going through but remember when you're doing that it's about being helpful to others as well and activating positive emotions in other people like you say we're locked down but We're not traveling two hours to work each day at the moment. We're at home. We're going for walks by ourselves and absorbing nature and looking around and having time to ourselves for the first time in a long time. And lastly, cultivate in yourself an attitude. We will get through this and we will talk about these times for years for both their positives and their negatives.
0: And I think. It is important to note that we do have time. It's almost like a catch-up time with life. That's the way I look at it. We're living in a bit of a limbo. I mean, for me, I really like to plan forward. And yes, yes, I'm planning knowing that at some stage that plan may have to be diverted in another direction or held off for a period of time. So that's why I call it the limbo. You're just sitting there waiting. But at the same time, You can go out there and enjoy nature and that's what I'm finding is the time to actually stop and think, slow down. Just that little bit, that little bit of slow down time is really good for your mental health.
1: There's a lot of books at the moment about regulation and how we're uh, creatures of routine and I put in an emergency management overlay on that is that I really think during COVID you can create a routine for yourself that's COVID normal that we're only experiencing three weeks ago in Manly. We, we had some restrictions in place. We know that it could escalate at any time, but there were a whole range of really good things. Hybrid work environments working three days a week from home were happening so that you create in your mind, well, when we're in COVID normal, this is how I'm going to create my day in my life. Mm-hmm. When we're in an escalated period, I know that that's going to happen. It's likely to happen over the next two years. There's, you know, different variants coming through. So I'm going to have a plan for COVID escalations when the restrictions start increasing. And then having that plan when it's COVID emergency at the moment, sorry for doing the emergency planning stuff. Overlay. <laughs> Anyone that's listening will know that's what I'm doing. But the third one is that when you're in that emergency state that we're in at the moment, that's total lockdown, you're saying, well, I have a routine during this time and yeah. I'm just implementing that routine. Yeah. So you just have two or three different ways of living that you just kick into and it becomes your norm.
0: So what about doing what feels good to you? Yeah. And yeah. So do you want to talk about that, like your exercise and, and the things that you might be able to do in that time that feel good to you?
1: My personal mantra has been developed over a long time, but it really follows Lucy Holmes's three. She's got a great talk on this, but that you know that there's going to be hard times in your life and often the hard times make the good times so much better because you know where you've come from. So accepting that there's going to be a crisis is really important. But secondly, what can I practically do to help? So this is your selfless part, right? So how can I help the people in my group stay connected? Who are my single friends? I'd like to make sure that I check up on occasionally what charity groups can I help with online Mm. or can I physically help with? How can I help my family settle during this period? How can I help the people in my family that can't work at the moment? So how can you practically help? And then lastly, what can you do that is good for you and what's harmful for you? You know, you're you're my sister in Bold and Beautiful Swimming, like me going into the ocean three or four days a week is – absolutely a centering experience for me and Mm. for other people it might be going for a walk it might be gaming it may be a whole range of different things but what is it the things that make you feel good and eating correctly and making sure that the things that you're doing and the and the choices that you're making are actually positive for you and making you feel good in this situation and resilient and that you can get through this crisis time
0: I mean, I know for myself and for some of my friends, we've been talking about what we're eating and drinking. At the moment, I'm not drinking. I just, a friend, Rami, yesterday and said, I've been 30 days without a drink. And not that she's a big drinker, but she said, mm-hmm. I just decided through this time that I would spend the time focusing on my health. And she said, I've joined a gym. So I'm virtually going to the gym and I'm not drinking I'm getting more sleep and I'm eating properly. And she said, I actually feel amazing. And she said, I might even continue this on for a while because I'm being so productive. Yes. And so you find out little things about yourself like that. I know, you know, we're trying to watch what we eat and do more exercise as well. And just getting outside and sitting down even next to a tree or somewhere out in the open and just relaxing and, and breathing and taking that little bit of time to self-nurture and the pile of
1: books that you have or the photos organizing photos or that one cupboard that you want to do or all those types of things are actually progressing you and what what you want to do but I'm probably talking from uh, a nerd in that perspective
0: (laughs) as humans I mean looking at those six measures we thrive on routine
1: yes so absolutely thrive on routine
0: so I wanted to talk about creating routine. Yes. Can you t- can you share a little bit about routine in this changing world especially while we're in lockdown?
1: Well, there's quite a few different um, stuff flying around especially on LinkedIn at the moment but Um, I think it is routine is about being routined and disciplined um, yourself, like the time that you wake up, the time that you're ready to get online for work, and also the time that you're scheduling in when you're doing your exercise and you don't let yourself not do it. I can share, I found solace in using my calendar and using my calendar for both work and social and making sure that I was connecting with the right people and spacing them out at the right time so that I didn't forget um, people but also that I had all my different activities that were in and I've I have started a little study thing at the moment that that's all, all structured into my week but different things work from different people some people might get joy at the moment of waking up and saying I'm not going to plan my day today I'm just going to see where it flies you and I have got great friends at Manly that walk out of the door at 7am in the morning and don't get back till two O'clock in the afternoon, and the only plan they've had is to have a swim. So, whilst you can't do that in COVID times unless you're exercising, I think you've got to understand your own character and understand what will be good for you in this in these circumstances.
0: Yeah. So you're listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen Sander. My guest today is Marnie Edwards. I wanted to talk a bit more about emergency responses. We see emergency responses. from all the agencies, police, ambulance, fire, through the lens of the media, and you certainly have some high responsibility roles in emergency management. Can you give us an overview of emergency management when it comes to these fires, floods, and of course, a pandemic?
1: Yes, of course, the pandemic. So that's an interesting one, too. So there's a lot of detail in relation to this. But in really um, short summary form, there is national legislation, state legislation is probably the the most important. So there's a state emergency plan for each state. And under that state emergency plan, the state is broken up into regions and local areas based on um, councils in New South Mm -hmm. Wales. And then each each of the main agencies, including an energy and all of the ones that you don't think about, all have responsibilities under that legislation. And there's a lead that's nominated. So for fires, it's fire. For medical mass casualty incidents, it's ambulance. For floods, it's SES. For terrorism or major events like that, it's police. Um, and you would have seen for pandemic, it's health, but you would have seen with the Ruby Princess at one stage that the lead position in managing the emergency was transferred over to police by health. Mm-hmm. So that's how they all interact. And that there is a plan as part of that state um, emergency plan where everyone in those organisations is supposed to be working on preventing any m- emergencies mm-hmm. that can be prevented, preparing for the ones that you can't prevent, like you can't prevent uh, fires and floods you can do as much as you can or there's some things earthquakes you can't prevent um, but preparing for them so the plans are in place then there's a response and that's when the lead agency takes over the response and there's a whole range of state operation centers that will then lead that response and then it's a forgotten quarter of this it's the recovery, and that's what resilience New South Wales is focusing on at the moment. but they go into places that have been ravaged by and flood, and they or they help the council rebuild the bridges or they help with rebuilding of homes that aren't insured, and there's a whole range of recovery work as well.
0: You're listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen Sander. My guest today is Marnie Edwards, and she has a huge career in emergency responses and now working in crisis. And the advice today she's giving us is really important as we are all sitting in the middle of a pandemic. Marnie, what advice do you have for the listeners when they find themselves in a crisis?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Karen. I think it's very individual for each of us but the first thing that we should personally do when that adrenaline rush hits is to breathe and calm yourself and let that pass um, and perhaps i know that you had a wonderful guest on emma Sherman and um, mm-hmm. and her advice in relation to breathing about how you're going to handle this but bringing yourself back to center and bringing yourself back to a calm and making sure that you're thinking with your whole brain just not the frontal cortex response part of your brain so the thing that I, I would say to each of you is be that person or that person as part of the team that brings calm to wherever you are you know bring your voice back to a low voice and clear instructions and when you're talking to people let make sure that you look them in the eyes and the face so that you can read what they are actually saying but also you can see that they're hearing you as well or focusing on you.
0: After you've done that, you remembering to breathe. What else can they do?
1: Well, work out where your superpower is in this situation, um, and your superpower is based on. It may be that you are one of the leaders of this group, whether it be your family or at work, or it may be that your superpower is actually going and talking to people on the side and seeing if they want a cuppa and bringing a cuppa, or it may be that you're better off doing one of the jobs of the emergency, like managing the traffic around the accident, for example, or making the phone call to triple O. So what is it that you could best contribute knowing your own strengths and weaknesses but if you are the leader or if you are a leader in that group if you're the parent or if you're the one of the senior managers or any of those types of things as soon as you've dealt with immediate danger make sure that everyone's safe first Mm -hmm. very much make sure everyone's safe first that there's somebody dealing with the person that's been injured there's somebody that's quarantined the area that's creating danger or whatever it is make sure that's okay and then mm-hmm. bring together the decision makers. Don't do it in the middle of everything that's happening. Try and take it off to the side. You'll always see police and emergency services have their forward command centers off to the side of the yep. scene. So take everyone off to the side. Be really clear to summarize what's happening and where you're at. Let everyone know right at the beginning, I'm going to ask everybody to tell me where they're at you and what they think we should do. Um, with Please not interrupt each other. Let everyone have their say. Walk around the group and making sure that people listen and without interrupting each person. Everyone wants to be listened in these circumstances. Hard when someone talks for a long time, but you can lead that conversation. So then summarize succinctly the situation after you've heard everyone and say, this is where I think that we need to go and get buy-in to that plan. My strong suggestion at this point is to be flexible after you've made that plan of action because somebody could come up with a better idea. Um, But set the course of action and where you think that things need to be done and use everyone's strengths. If you know that your brother is really good at liaising with the police in these circumstances, or if you know that your mum would be really good in going into the um, ambulance with the person that's injured, Use people's strengths and and Mm. get them doing jobs that they can help with. Know that whatever the situation, over time, this issue will pass and the situation will pass. So if you can get all the immediate actions done and do what you can on that day, give people a time the next day or in the next appointment at the end of the day, we are going to come back together at 3 p.m. and see where we're at at 3 p.m.
0: Yeah, that sounds like really good advice.
1: Yes. So you're not just, everyone's not calling every half an hour, right? Everyone go and do your tasks. We'll be back at three o'clock and we're going to talk about this at three o'clock. The second thing in this world is all these people are going to be asking you about this situation, right? Create a WhatsApp group or a message group and say every hour I'm going to update this WhatsApp group. So everybody gets the same information at the same time. And it's not, you know, rolling into that catastrophizing. I think that And if you get people busy and helping, that makes people feel like they're effective in that situation. And avoid hasty decision making is the last thing I would say. Nobody ever says to you, don't sleep on that. When you do sleep on a major problem, things come to people as solutions. So do what you can to immediately solve the the problem and the safety and what needs to be done. Give people actions, come back at another day and go over it again.
0: Can I refer to a situation that you spoke to me about a few weeks ago?
1: Certainly. The shark. The shark. Oh, great! I just yes. thought it's a good
0: example of a plan. Yes. It's crisis.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, a self-made crisis, probably. But um... I don't
0: know that it was self-made. You didn't plan the shark. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we could have predicted the plant. So, the prevention or the preparation could have been better, Maddie, Karen, using the terms on it. I can share that with your listeners. So, um, certainly do our group of swimmers from Manly, and we were at Hyams Beach at a beautiful beach called Steamers Beach. And four of us who were competent swimmers. Um, and ocean swimmers decided to do a swim there. And we walked to where we knew the conditions were best um, to get into the water. We talked about it beforehand. We talked about what our plan was in the water. Two of us got into the water first and then called out the other two swimmers. We then swam as a group up to a, a headland and then around two of us had got about four or five metres ahead and turned around because we were turning around constantly and keeping ourselves all together. And the girls at the back were signaling to us and we thought, oh, they must have either seen something good or they don't want to go any further. So we swam back towards them. As we were swimming back towards them, now I'm going to say it was at least 10 foot, Karen. But there was a shark. <laughs>
0: As long as it wasn't <laughs> ten meters. <laughs> yes. and let's say it was a... ten foot. Let's say two and a
1: half meters. Meters. A two and a half meter shark just resting. It looked like just below the platform. It was huge. It's the largest shark I have seen outside of an aquarium. And for me personally, I immediately felt the group safety. We have to get out. So we we swam towards the two girls we decided that we would move as a group together towards the shore. And so we did, that's what we did. We worked together. We were doing a bit of swimming around each other to make sure everyone was getting in together. We got past the shoreline and we got onto the sand and we all had a big hug, (laughs) a very big hug. But then we did take the time at that point to say, how does everyone feel? How did that go for you? Do you want to talk about it? Is anyone still scared? Um, all those types of things, which was really strong and powerful for us. And I I know I'll be bonded to those three women for my whole life from that experience, but also the calmness, the support. There was no yelling. There was no one directing everyone else what to do. It was the consensus of the group, and it was talking with the group and making decisions as a group that made us really strong through that.
0: I'm a swimmer as well, as you know. And you go into the water every day knowing that you might see something that you don't want to see. But we see so many amazing things when we are there, which just bring great joy to your day. And, yeah, well done you for surviving that one. Yeah. When you told me that story, I went, oh, my God.
1: Uh, if I could have taken a photo, it would have been a social media event. But it's just one of those things that you, at the time I physically... It, all four of us could have panicked, um, but everyone kept really calm and just moved and acted together. So that was really positive.
0: You're about to pivot your career. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so I have been working in uh, lots of long-term jobs, um, mainly with the public service, but I have so really enjoyed working with agencies jumping in, helping them with their resilience, if I use that term, but, and with their confidence with their emergency and crisis plans. So, where I'm at at the moment is I'm creating business, but where I can come into a business or I can come into a community group and I can look at what their crisis and emergency management plans and say, yes, this will work. This will work in an emergency. And yes, it is part of the culture and it's part of what intuitively your group does. And it will meet most of the state emergencies at, under the State Emergency Act. But however, I also will say these three areas could be strengthened over time and this is how you can do that. And I can come back in a year and go yeah you really achieved those three strengthening elements and your plans look really good and I can run exercises for people or I can just work with companies executives or senior managers to get them ready to act in a crisis.
0: I think years gone by women who are well for me I'm in what Jane Fonda talks about the the third act so I'm past 60 which she classes as the third act of your life. I find that many women from their 50s on are actually pivoting their careers and I'm really proud of them for actually having a go at doing something different.
1: Yeah I think for me the ability to meet different people and different areas and in as you said I have over time build up a lot of calls and experience and and to be able to share them and practically see people gain confidence in their own abilities to manage in these types of environments and work out how they can run their business in COVID and run it successfully. is really going to be an amazing journey one way or the other and I'm so privileged to be able to have the opportunity
0: to do that. So three takeaways for the guests today.
1: Yeah. All right. So, look, I think everyone that's been listening to you have had their own life and their own journey, and and probably don't need my advice. But in the context of emergencies, um, I'd say that all emergencies, crises, and hard times will pass in time. Mm-hmm. This will pass, and all crises will pass. Um, so whenever you're in the middle of it realize there will become a time where this is part of our story and so it won't be part of our ongoing future so and that's and in those crises um, and at the moment focus on the things that you can do you can practically do and that make you feel that you're positively acting in this environment at the moment and lastly and I know many of you out there will have given to the community or in jobs that are given to the community every day or are raising families Think that every situation that you can help in as a privilege instead of a burden or a job that you have to do, for me, every single time I can help it is a privilege.
0: I want to add to that. I was at a conference last year and we did a little exercise about, oh, I have to do this today. Change the words to I get to do this. Yes. And it makes a real difference as in it's a privilege I get to speak to you today, Marnie, yes. which is an absolute privilege. It would always have been I get to speak to you today because I love speaking to people and, yeah, that's the joy. So there's never a burden when you actually change it from I have to do this to I get to do this.
1: Yes. I'll be very corny and most of your listeners will um, remember this, but Bike Milligan if you remember him, he was a comedian and he would wake up every day and he would say to himself, good. (laughs) (laughs) I I woke up. (laughs) Yes, I've got a whole day to fill in (laughs) and it doesn't matter. And it's just having your best day as often as you can, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, for the guests, I'm speaking to Marnie Edwards today. And Marnie, it has been a real privilege to speak to you. I hope to learn a lot more about you and a lot more from you. I'm going to pick your brains many times, so just beware. But uh, thank you so much for joining us on Aging Fearlessly today. Thank you very much.
1: I think it, uh, what is it, Um, first time you meet as a guest, the second time as friends, and the third time as family.
0: Ah, I love it. Cheerio, everyone. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice.
2: The sun is shining bright Sign. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all i to find. It's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high. Swim across ocean.